the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. Then there are a group of elders at our church who are our pastoral team. Those are the the, the spiritual elders, not that the first group are unspiritual, but the second group, pastors, in the sense of their responsibility is the gospel and, and ministering to people and uh, caring for them as shepherds under the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. So he distinguishes here between those elders who direct the affairs of the church and those elders whose primary gift are the spiritual matters of preaching and teaching. Now, in the middle of this, he talks about worthy of double honor. What spiritual gifts did the Lord entrust you with? In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that there are many giftings that have been given by the Holy Spirit. Some might have the gift of teaching, others preaching or prophecy. But each disciple and child of God is given a spiritual gift. Pastor Gary encourages you to ask the Lord to give you the insight to know what gifts he's entrusted you with and to seek His face on how you can steward them wisely and give honor to His name. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. I grew up in the day where you you back-talked, you know, your dad once. And then after that, you know, you, you were injured. You know what I'm saying? And, and, you, and you learned respect very, very quickly. And unfortunately, we're, we're living in a day where, you know, elders are not as respected as, as they once were, but they should be. And so the instruction from Paul to Timothy is when you're dealing with an older man in your church, you need to t- treat him with respect. You need to exhort him. The Greek word there is perikaleo, meaning to come alongside of him, like to encourage him as if he were your father. And you need to treat younger men as brothers. Yo, bro. I mean, it's, it's good to treat them as brothers. Older women as mothers. Again, showing respect to them. And younger women as sisters. And he adds there with absolute purity. And I think it's you know, not just that Timothy had some kind of problem with younger women, and so he's saying, absolute purity, Timmy. But I think it's just the idea that in general, uh, we should see each other as family. And he says, you know, treat older men like fathers, treat older uh, women like mothers, treat younger men like brothers, younger women like sisters. We, we should have a a love and respect for each other like we're family, because we are, we're, the, we're part of the family of God. And so we should be treating each other with decency and love and respect and encouragement and, and to do this with purity. And then he gets into verse 3 and on with dealing with 
widows. And the first category he's going to look at are the older widows. And so in verse 3, he says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is, and he uses this phrase again, really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. We'll pause there. And again, the idea is give people the instructions. Here's what we're doing on a Wednesday night. We're going through God's word. We're reiterating these things so that people can understand the instructions for how the church should function. So he's going to talk here about older widows and, and the first thing he wants to distinguish between are those who are really in need versus those who are not really in need, and he's going to define that. He only means that in the sense of regarding whether the church should help them. Okay, A widow who has lost her husband is obviously in need no matter what the situation. So he's not saying some you know, are, are really desperate and others aren't. I mean, it's a desperate thing to be a widow or to be a widower for that matter. But he's saying as far as the church's involvement, what should the church be doing in coming alongside of widows financially, materially, spiritually? And so he wants to distinguish between those who are really in need and those who aren't because those who aren't should not become a burden to the church. He uses that word. I'm not trying to be disingenuous to widows by referring to them as a burden. He just talks about it could become a financial burden to the church to try to take care of too many widows who aren't really in need. But those who are in need, he says the church needs to step up and help to take care of them. Now he's going to distinguish. And and what he says here about those who are not really in need are those who have children and grandchildren. Because he says there in verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. So if a widow has children or grandchildren, this obviously means adult children or grandchildren, because little tiny kids can't really take care of mom who's a widow. But the inference is, if you have adult children or grandchildren, who are able to take care of you, then family should take care of family first. I mean, biological family. The the church family is secondary. So if a widow has children or grandchildren that can take care of her, they should. And and he says here, and I love the way he adds there in in verse 4, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. What does he mean by that? Well, what he means by that is the obvious, isn't it? It's like, listen, this the widow now, who, whether she's your mom or your grandma, when you were a kid, she fed you, she changed your stinking diaper, all right? She took care of making sure all your needs were met. She stayed up with you in the middle of the night when you had a fever, all right? She was always there for you, taking care of you. Now she's in need and you need to return the favor. You need to take care of her. You need to repay her with with similar kindness. Take care of her now. Now you're older, and she's in a place where, particularly the first century Roman Empire, you became a widow, you became destitute. And sometimes widows would resort to things in order to try to just survive, 
And Paul says that as Christians, the immediate family has a responsibility to take care of their mom or their grandma. And in this way, you repay them for their kindness in the many ways that they took care of you as a kid. For this pleases the Lord. Now, then he talks there in verse 5 about the widow is really in need. Man, she's left all alone, and she's going to have to put her hope in God. And she continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. And so she's in a more desperate situation because she has no family. And that's why she's, quote, more really in need. And so he's going to call the church to help step up and take care of her. But then he's also going to talk about the qualifications for one who's really in need. Because she may not qualify. And he's going to talk about that a little bit. But notice verse 6. He says, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. In other words, if, if, if there's a widow and she is just turning to a different lifestyle now that she's, you know, separated from her husband, her husband has died and she's just living for the world. He says she, she's dead even while she lives. And he says, give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. He says, I, I want you to treat everybody properly and I want you to know your responsibility in all of this. And he says in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family... He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is strong language. Now, in the context, he's talking here about taking care of widows. So he says, if you have a mom or a grandma who's a widow, and she's a part of your family, and you have the means and the wherewithal to take care of her, and you don't, Paul says, you're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than an unbeliever. Because believers don't treat their family members like that. Believers take care of each other. And look out for each other and tend to each other's needs. But I also think, that's the context, I also think that this verse can apply from time to time to people who just have a lazy work ethic. And there's been a couple times over the years of my ministry that I've pulled this verse out and talked to some men who need to get a job. Now I know that there can be legitimate, real circumstances sometimes why a man is not gainfully employed. He can be laid off, he can be fired, he can have health issues. Um, there, There can be other extenuating circumstances. So taking that into consideration, that's legitimate. But then there are just some men who don't take care of their family. And uh, some deadbeat dads who don't pay child support and, and, and guys who just are lazy. And this verse should be a strong reminder to every provider that if we don't provide for our family... We've denied the faith and we're worse than an unbeliever. It's a very sobering verse to make sure that we're doing all we can to work hard and to take care of our family members in need. Now, between verses 9 and 10, he's going to talk about the qualifications for a widow who is really in need. And this is, and this is where the church needs to step up and help. So he says in verse 9, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Wow, who can make the list? I mean, that's, that's a pretty strong list there, Paul. But here's basically just to summarize the four things. He says she, she needs to be over 60, she, she, and, and she can't have any family, Thus, the church needs to step up and be her family. 
She has to have a reputation that she was faithful to her husband during the days of their marriage, and she has to have strong spiritual character. That's why he says all these things like, you know, she has to be, you know, showing hospitality, washing all the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble. I mean, so he makes this list here. Now, it's not intended to be legalistic. All right. You know, if, if some widow were to show up at our church office, a part of our church family, and she's 59 and a half, we're not going to say, sorry, you don't meet the list. And by the way, you have to wash my feet. You know, I mean, hmm, I would actually be. No, but anyway. And the other weird thing here is just by way of statistics in first century, the average lifespan, you know, the average lifespan, 37. So Paul says here. Average lifespan is 37 in Paul's day, but if you don't reach the age of 60, you're not on the list. I mean, that's, <laughs> who's making it? The six, I did a little math, and, and the, the, the equivalent ratio, because today's average lifespan is 78, so the equivalent ratio would be that a widow has to be 130. <laughs> Isn't that too bad? Like, you don't make the cut. That's, that, that's not what he's saying here, all right? He's saying there has to be a way to tell legitimate need from illegitimate need. And so if she's up there in years, and she has no family, and she's been faithful in her marriage, and she just loves the Lord and has a good heart, the church needs to be the family for her. But see, he's also recognizing that if the church is too careless in this regard, that the church then could deplete itself of its resources trying to help people who aren't really legitimately in need. I can tell you, you know, we have a benevolence fund here at our church. 10% of everything you give goes to our benevolence fund. Uh, I I should say outreach fund because that 10% serves not only local benevolent needs but also missions. And we have people who will have legitimate needs in our own congregation that we have helped. We also have people outside our church who will call us, drop by. We've had social services when they've run out of their budget for the year of Loudoun County. They've contacted our church, said, can you help out families? And and we've been glad to oblige. But we have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that these are legitimate needs. Because we just can't have everybody showing up saying, I want a handout. Because then we're not being good stewards of what God has entrusted to our care. So we have to be careful with every need that presents itself and try to decide, is this legitimate? Should we help? If by our helping, are we just contributing to a pattern of careless and recklessness regarding their management of money? So we have to investigate things. And that's really what Paul is saying as it relates to widows. Investigate. Make sure. Are they up there in years? Do they have no family? Are you to be the church family? Were they faithful in their marriage? Are they, do they have good spiritual character? And then come along and help them. Because the word honor there, actually in verse uh, 3, where in NIV it says give proper recognition. In New King James and ESV, it's the word honor. Honor the widows. And we're going to talk about how that word throughout this chapter can actually mean honorarium. It can actually mean financial support and helping them uh, in, in material ways. So he talks about old widows, older widows there. I shouldn't say old, everything's relative, but older. And then in the next section, verse 11 to 15, he's going to talk about uh, younger widows. 
But let's read the verses here first. Verse 11, he says, As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. He's basically saying here, if the church finances their lives because they're younger, they are liable to become dependent upon the church instead of God, and their idle lives may lead them into sinful situations. That's why he talks about they could start to give way to being gossips and busybodies because they're, t- they're taken care of. You know, the church has become, you know, the big daddy for them, and they're just sitting around. They get themselves into trouble. So he counsels them there to remarry. Now, not every widow will feel led to, to remarry, but he just cautions the church to be careful with younger widows because you could actually be contributing to sinful choices that they end up making when they just sit back and become uh, dependent upon the church to finance their lives. So he actually encourages them, verse 14, I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their own homes, to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. And some have taken, some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. And he adds there in verse 16, if any woman who was a believer has widows in her family, just kind of restates this, she should help them and not let the church, here's the word, be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, obviously, widows are not the only people who are in need. There are plenty of people in desperate and difficult situations who are in need, and and the church should come along and help them as well. For whatever reason, there seems to have been a large number of widows in Timothy's church there in Ephesus, such that Paul felt like, I need to really address this particular group of older widows and younger widows. But, you know, James 1.27 says, pure religion that God the Father finds as faultless as this, to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And there are a lot of people in distress, and there are a lot of ways that the church can show itself helpful and caring by ministering to people who are legitimately in need. Now he goes on here in verse uh, 17 through 20 to talk about elders. Not that they need care like a widow, but how they are to be treated and some of the ways that, that they are to be considered and taken care of in the life of the church. So verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. this This is a little... I'll admit, a little bit uncomfortable for me to have to teach through this passage because as an elder, I'm talking now about elders and how we're supposed to be treated the the good way and the bad way uh, based on an elder's conduct, not that they are mistreated, but based on the elder's conduct, they they might get themselves into trouble and they need to be treated uh, in, in the proper way 
in God's house. So basically, there are four things that he, I'm bullet pointing, that he says here between verses 17 and 20. He's going to talk about the distinction of an elder, the remuneration of an elder, the protection of an elder against false accusations, and the correction of an elder who sins. So first in verse 17, I mentioned this when we were in chapter 3, because in chapter 3 he talks about the qualifications for an elder, but he distinguishes between two types of elders in this verse when he says that the elder who directs the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those, and then here's another distinction, those whose work is preaching and teaching. And as I mentioned when we were in chapter 3, there seems to be here by Paul this indication that some elders were more focused on directing the affairs of the church, as in being administrative, and some elders were more gifted in the areas of preaching and teaching, as in the spiritual aspects of being an elder. I've also made the statement that every pastor is an elder, because every pastor has to qualify according to the qualifications of an elder, but not every elder is a pastor in the sense that there are some administrative elders who do not feel called into ministry, ministry of the gospel. And there are some who are. The, the some who are called to the ministry of the gospel are pastors. Those who are, are not called into the ministry of the gospel may still be elders, but they're primarily responsible for the administrative oversight of the church. So for example, here at Cornerstone, we have two groups of elders that do slightly overlap. I have a group of elders who are the majority of which are not on staff, they are not paid, they are men of our church who qualify according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and whose main responsibility is the fiduciary oversight of our church. They examine the books, they examine the, 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 the giving, the financial stewardship. They are responsible also for holding my life accountable. Somebody needs to, and so the, this group of men are a part of that. And not just in a bad sense, but in a good sense of encouraging me, praying for me and my family. And they also were very instrumental in getting into this building. Because they had to give all the oversight and approval for everything related to the expansion and the building and the development of this property. Then there are a group of elders at our church who are our pastoral team. Those are the, the, the spiritual elders, not that the first group are unspiritual, but the second group, pastors, in the sense of their responsibility is the gospel and, and ministering to people and uh, caring for them as shepherds under the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. So he distinguishes here between those elders who direct the affairs of the church and those elders whose primary gift are the spiritual matters of preaching and teaching. Now, in the middle of this, he talks about worthy of double honor. The Greek word for honor here is temei, and it can either be translated honor as in the sense of virtue, and it can also be translated in a monetary way as in honorarium. That's how this word is being used here, and how do we know that it's being used in terms of honorarium, like remuneration or financially, because of the way he follows it up in verse 18 when he says, for the scriptures say, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So he defines double honor when he quotes from Deuteronomy, talking about an ox, don't muzzle the ox. And the idea behind it, he's quoting from, I think, the book of Leviticus, it's the idea that when an ox was treading out the grain, don't muzzle the ox, let it be able to eat some of the fruit of its labor as it's working. It should be able to 
uh, in a sense, be compensated for its hard work. And then Paul quotes out of Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verse 7, when he talks about the worker's worth as wages, he's quoting Luke, but Luke was recording what Jesus said, which is interesting just on a side note, on a theological doctrinal note here, where Paul says, as the scriptures say, and then he quotes out of, sorry, it wasn't Leviticus, it's Deuteronomy about the ox. Deuteronomy 25.4, and then he quotes out of Luke 10.7, a worker deserves his wages. In other words, he is ascribing scriptural definition to the gospel of Luke. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Timothy. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Timothy, and we encourage you to read over today's message on your own, and then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter, right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.